Hello, this is Jen Rubin of the Washington Post. I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, Jen Rubin's Green Room. We're going to have a series of fun guests. We're going to chew the fat and we're going to dish the dirt and we're going to bring you the best and the smartest people I can find. Make sure you tell your friends. Join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is MIT computer scientist and artificial intelligence expert, John Guttag. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to Politicon for next week's show. Now, we'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Z-Biotics, Henson Shaving, and ExpressVPN in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James Carville, the fight over the debt ceiling is depressing. It's terrible for the country, and I think it's going to be bad for Joe Biden. The House Republicans are willing, uh, at least the majority of them, I think, are a sizable minority, even eager to cause a default, an economic catastrophe, which they'll then blame on Biden and the Democrats. So the White House couldn't have played its cards much worse. They started off by saying, we're not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling, and then they, of course, negotiated. The debt ceiling, by the way, covers, as you know, it doesn't cover future bills. It covers previous obligations, much of it run up by Trump. Uh, the Republicans, I think, have done a much better job of framing their narrative as disingenuous and false as it is that this is about fiscal responsibility, when really it's the full faith and credit of the United States at stake here. But I think they have the upper hand right now, and I think that uh, Biden is going to have to cave a lot. And in the end, you're still not going to get you know dozens of the crazy Republicans, and they're going to have to try to produce Democrats, enough Democrats in the House to hold their nose and vote for it. And it may be after there's been a you know I don't know a week or two of default. Uh, it's it's a very very unpleasant picture. You know, I, 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 it's more unpleasant than you think. I mean, first of all, this is decided we're going to lose. 64% of the country thinks there should be spending cuts associated with not defaulting. Default is the operative word here, not debt ceiling. But 64% think that you need debt cuts. You need spending cuts to not default. I mean, I, it's not unrelated, but we lost a fight. Why did we lose a fight? Because maybe we should have started talking about default as opposed to to paying our bills. Secondly, we should point out there's no such thing as a Republican budget. And third, we should, should have pointed out that 25% of the total debt of the United States is accumulated in the four years of Donald Trump's administration, which is about 1.6% of the time this country has been. But we didn't, and we're going to suffer the consequences. And in addition to being what most policy people would say is very, very poor policy, very bad precedent, Obama caved and it, it, it Cause, and this is going to cause interest rates to rise. And I, I, even if it, if they get it done by June first, uh, they're they're 
people are going to be queasy about U.S. bonds. And just when we don't need it, we're going to get another rise in interest rates. We're going to take a bunch of banks down. The progressives will correctly, and they have a point to say they didn't. They, they got beat bad in this whole fight because he's got it. You know, with no chance that they're going to do away with the Trump tax cuts or windfall profits tax for all companies or drug companies, any of these things which are enormously popular. That's done. And Biden's almost assured himself now of a challenger from the left, which can't be good for the party. So it's it's not just that it's a disaster for the markets. It's also a political disaster for, for, for the president and his party and my party, the Democratic Party. I'm, it couldn't be going much worse. Boy, I wish I could disagree with anything you said. I can't disagree with anything. And um, the folks, why haven't the Republicans produced a budget? And why haven't financial leaders in deficit hawks like my friend Maya McGinnis demanded that McCarthy keep his word and put out a budget? They've been dishonest. They haven't. I'll tell you why they haven't, James. Because if they put out a budget, it would have to reveal more specifics about these spending cuts, which if people, once they find out what they are, are going to be, many of them will be unpopular. And they'd have to include their tax provisions in there, which basically would render most of the so-called deficit reduction obsolete. They're not going to produce any kind of balanced budget, and they're going to end up with a budget that would show that they're cutting a lot of programs for poor people, and they're continuing to throw a sop to the wealthy. But they've gotten away with it. They've gotten away with it, and it's, um, you know, it's a fault of some outsiders, and actually the press has let them off pretty easy. Well, it's it's always a combination. The press has... And so have the Democrats, and so had the so-called sane people or kind of financial chin scratches. No one knows, unless somebody listens to this show, has no idea there's no such thing as a Republican budget. And, and why they don't lead off, if, if, if this were the equivalent uh, of them, every story on Fox and Newsmax and God knows what would be, where's your budget? And they'd be doing, you know, looking for it. There's no such thing. We didn't engage. And I think the problem, unfortunately, and it's it's worse than you think, I think that President Biden has some 1980s, maybe even to some extent slightly 90s view of the Republican Party that he could sit down and negotiate and there'd be well-meaning people. And it it just was a, a disastrous miscalculation. Again, no one knows that they don't have a budget. Everyone is confused in the debt limit with default. It's just the the, the scope, in, in not just the scope of this defeat, but how unnecessary it was, it, 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 it just drives me nuts. They should have stolen a leaf. Remember Ted Koppel uh, when the, uh, during the Iranian hostage crisis? This is day 47. This right. is day 52. There should have been this is day 22 with no House Republican oh. budget. This oh, is day 29. Right. Or maybe even stolen a leaf from Mitch McConnell and gotten those old hound dogs out and had yes. them going around looking for it the Republican should. budget. And the counter that some make is, well, the Democrat, the Senate Democrats haven't submitted a budget yet. There is a Democratic budget out there. Joe Biden submitted a budget. <clears throat> Let's have, have a Republican budget and compare the two. It has to originate in the House. Yeah. But, I mean, even like 
Well, I remember when Keith Oldman used to be, it's 674 days since Bush declared mission accomplished. You know, I mean, something, but you you can't, this idea that you say something once, you say something twice, or, or, well, well, James, we brought that up back and go look at a tape on May the 16th. That'll do you no goddamn good. Yeah. And we're we're now in, in, it's like I say, it's a policy disaster. They're going to take all the wrong lessons from it. And it's also a political disaster. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, you, you're right. And I'll tell you something. It's a precedent. Whenever there is a Democratic president, if the Republicans control either house, there will be a shakedown. Of course it, it, it will. And, and as far as the eye can see. So it's awful. Okay, so let's turn to something else. Maybe not so good news for Republicans. We'll see. Ron DeSantis about to announce DeSantis-Trump, kind of Attila versus Genghis. Um, I, I think, um, DeSantis looks a lot weaker than he did three or four months ago. He is, he's made, I think some miscalculations, some mistakes. He's not a very attractive person. Uh, but I still think James that, uh, it all depends on Trump. Trump is in the driver's seat. If he's still the Teflon Don on October the 20th, he's going to be the nominee. But if, as I have su- suggested on this program, uh, that if the accumulation of more indictments, of more suits, of other actions of his health get to him and he starts losing that, the most likely person to pick up the chips will be DeSantis. And I, uh, Tim Scott will be the flavor of the month. Uh, the, you know, they love the Tim Scott story. I don't know what he's ever done. Uh, a couple months ago, Nikki Haley was the flavor of the month. But this is a Republican Party, a constituency that likes anger. They like grievance. They like lashing out. They like own the libs. They aren't looking for any message of vision or hope, even if it's um, dubious. So, um, you know, I I wouldn't sell DeSantis stock right now, but uh, he he certainly has not had a good couple months. Well, all right. So so one of the great Paul, the conversations, and I guess I don't object to it, is, well, who would the Democrats rather have, DeSantis or Trump? Well, mm-hmm. actually, Democrats don't have much say so. Well, look, you wanted Ronald Reagan, and look what happened. Okay, fine. This is idiotic, but I'll, I'll engage in the DeSantis-Trump thing. So you're right. Trump, in everything you see, points to multiple indictments. I've always thought and, and been very public about the Mar-a-Lago thing is the cleanest thing I've ever seen. Now it's becoming apparent that he's trained the guns on the whole Mar-a-Lago thing. He's got the lawyer's notes. The Fulton County DA is going to indict me. So this, this, it's almost a certain that there are multiple indictments right. on, on, on the thing. So, so let's turn to DeSantis. So DeSantis is picked you know, politics, you have enemies of necessity, all right? You want to run, you run against a person. He's got a job that, or she's got a job you want, that's your enemy of necessity. Or you got a job someone else wants, that's an enemy of necessity. The Sands people have two enemies of choice, Disney and Susie Wiles. And he's losing bad on both parts. Susie Wiles is giving Mrs. DeSantis a headache because she's tap dancing on her head so much. Why do you think all these parties are coming about, stories are coming about them flying around on private jets or, or him, Texas with Lev Parnas or whatever his name is. But DeSantis' problem is this. The Dobbs thing is a political killer in an election. I, in a I general. Give you that. 
in a general election, it is a killer. If you, 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 Biden is going around with 40 percent approval. Uh, We did predictably bad in 2021. People don't remember that. But Terry lost the governorship, uh, you know, in a state, you know, it was a big seven point turnaround. Even more of a turnaround was where Phil Murphy did win in New Jersey, but he only won by two and a half in a a, deep, 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 deep deep blue state. Mm -hmm. But then Dobbs came. Then we started winning elections. I'm sorry. We just did. We, 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 the, the 2022 t- election was a much, much bigger deal. And you say, well, we're just kind of tied. Well, we, we had a president with a bad approval rating. We had a, a combination of presidential disapproval and wrong track of the country is probably all time high. And then we started winning every freaking thing. We won in Pennsylvania. We won in Jacksonville. We won in Virginia. We won in Colorado Springs. All right, we're running and Wisconsin big. We're running the table. Why? Dobbs. So DeSantis has come out with a six week all ban on all abortion. Six, but a lot of people don't know they're pregnant after six weeks. And now his talking point is elect me because Trump only has one term. Oh, God, didn't get think about Trump one term. I'll have two. And we'll have a 7-2 majority on the Supreme Court, and they'll do anything. Well, that is a, that's a horrific position to go into in a general election. And trust me, the Supreme Court is the issue now. It's not the old day where I was where people, you know what I mean, only the people right, that really right. can't vote on this. This is an everyday issue. We're winning elections left and right out here. I mean, if every time you turn around, we're winning a fucking election. So I—, I for all of our problems, and boy, there are multitudinous. I, I, we don't deny them on this show. Uh, we, we try to be straight with people. But, man, when you think you got, you know, you, you you think you got one eye, you know, you look over there and, you know, in the land of the blind, the one eye guy is the king. And, man, they got, they got deep, deep problems. And they're fundamental because they can't get away from this issue. I, I think you're right, James, and uh, I think the DeSantis sl- Trump slugfest is it, that is going to be fun to watch. That really Dude. is going to be fun to watch. It, rather than a boxing match, it's more like you know uh, a professional wrestling. But I don't know that DeSantis is up to it. I mean, he he's got to figure out how he's never he's never had an opponent like Donald Trump who will say and do anything and is mean and will undercut him and i everything i've seen so far DeSantis is not ready for that and if he doesn't get ready for that even a weaker uh trump which i expect uh he's gonna have trouble beating and i agree with your assessment on a general election completely (laughs) with one caveat i think he is a weak general election candidate it's the abortion ban it's book banning and telling teachers what they can teach those aren't going to play in those swing suburban one thing he would have going for him would be a 46 year old candidate running against an 82 year old candidate uh that would be a plus but otherwise uh if he were to get the nomination he would be a weak candidate. I go back and forth on 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 who I would in playing that parlor game of you know who I want. The answer is n- neither one of them. They both would be horrible for the country. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but we, we're not for an opponent. But 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 DeSantis, it's everything is a stunt. All right. Now the latest stunt is he's announcing on Twitter with Elon Musk. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's just in. 
he's just got to keep coming up with, with more stunts. And I, I think they're going to keep leaking shit on him. I think that I think they have stuff they're waiting to break on his all his affiliated fundraising things. Uh, I think that they're going to find that they're going to be some of these funds that are put to questionable use, to say the least. They're not even they, they hadn't even warmed up on, on DeSantis, yeah. not not closely warmed up. And whatever Trump don't dir- like a shit because they're going to indict him for treason. <laughs> something. Yeah. I don't know what the hell. And, and, and you know something? Whatever new dirt you put out against Trump, it's not going to affect go. his base. I man, think it's man. those people on the margins. You know, it's the difference between 30% and 40%. And right. if it's a, you know, mono a mono primary, maybe that matters. But I, uh, I, I, I think they're going to kill each other. Yeah. All right. Well, I really do. James, we may enjoy watching I will. that it's struggle. True. I will. Not may. We're going to enjoy it. This is going to be fun to watch. It ain't going to be, might not be much fun on our side, but poor man. Yeah, let me ask you a final question. Um, candidates matter the most. No question that, overwhelmingly. But who they have around them matters too. You know that. I mean, Bill Clinton won in 1992 in part because he had people like you. Same with Obama, with, uh, you know, Pluffin and Axelrod. Uh, we know who's around Trump. They're, I don't know that this, they're, they're Obviously not very smart, but they're mean, tough, and they know they're kind of who's, – who's – other than his wife, who is around DeSantis that knows how to, how to navigate this track? Well, first of all, his wife doesn't know. Supposing Jeff Rowe, yep. who was Cruz's guy, he was Yunkin's guy. He's, I was reading a story about his friend. They make hundreds of millions of dollars a year. I mean, they have candidates everywhere. The, the article was not particularly favorable to him, but he's got a, a – I think I've met him once or twice. He has some. Where but, was that article, James? You remember? Shit, I don't. But I it, it would pop up. It, 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 yeah, it, they have a different model. They make so much money, more money than than we used to make back when I was in politics. It's not even funny. But but it, but but at any rate, it, Mrs. DeSantis is playing. She was a newscaster. She was the color person on the Golf Channel. She doesn't know what she's doing. Susie, again, Susie Wiles, who's Pat Summerall's daughter, who worked for DeSantis, made him as a savvy Florida political operator, and they fired her, and they made a big mistake. And I know this for a fact. She has contacts like you wouldn't believe, and a lot of them in the press. And she's just parsing this out. They, they, you, we just... She had Susie Wiles hadn't begun to stick to shiv in her. Okay, they, you they, Democrats they, out there who have reasons to be down, uh, just just think about how much you're going to enjoy watching. Ooh, versus yeah, damn right. Hey, you know, we all have busy lives these days and can't afford to waste a day stuck on the couch because of a few drinks during a dinner meeting the night before. Z-Biotics is the answer. It's amazing how they use PhD scientists to pioneer the world's first genetically engineered probiotic to accomplish a greater good, tackling rough mornings after drinking and getting you back to business. To fill you in, When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut, and it's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for a tough day ahead. But Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down and is designed to work like your liver, but in your gut. 
That's where you need it most. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best the next day, even after intense social or business demands, James. And don't we wish we knew about that 20 years oh, ago? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to this and saying, where have you been all my life? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my God, for, for God's sakes, try it. Is in a, and, you know, I think they're pretty scientific in the way they attack it. And this Sounds like they're taking a, a very scientific approach and they figured this out. And man, it, this is something I could have used. <laughs> it, 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 you're about, you know, 16 years too late. <laughs> I mean, 70, 62 years too late or whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could have used this oh, starting. Yes. I could have used this starting in college, to be honest. I could have used this starting in high school. Probably. In any event. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is advances humanity. You are, but today, when you go on your long runs after a long night, and that's with New Orleans humidity, every time we have a Z-Biotics before a drink, it makes such a difference the next day. Even after drinks at the client dinner the night before, I know you'll be able to jump into action right after waking up. You'll feel ready to go with Z-Biotics, whether it's writing all day, going for a run, or going in front of an audience. Give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash PWR to get 15% off your first order. When you use code PWR at checkout, Z-Biotics is back with 100% money-back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash PWR and use the code PWR at checkout for 15% off. You also can go grab the link from our show notes. Hey, thanks, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode. Hey, James, we're in rarefied air today with our guest, Dr. John Guttag, head of electrical engineering and computer sciences at MIT and founder of an artificial intelligence firm and a leading expert on that subject. First of all, welcome, Dr. Guttag. The question that is on the minds out there, will artificial intelligence replace two old guys doing a podcast? Well, before I answer that question, I hate to start with a correction, but I, I must. Uh, I am no longer head of the department. I, uh, some while ago, I decided to go back to earning an honest living as a teacher and a researcher rather than an administrator. But uh, I take yeah. that correction. If I'd used AI, I'd have gotten it right. Uh, probably not. I mean, I've tried a, that's a long discussion. But if you'd asked ChatGPT, there's no telling what it would have told you about me. Um, so it's a really good question. Uh, what will it replace uh, people doing podcasts? Uh, it will certainly change what happens with podcasts. Uh, it's kind of amazing where we are. Uh, we're, I think we're at the beginning of a positive feedback loop. Uh, all of us in the field are suddenly working on using AI to build better AI, which is pretty new. Uh, and this has the potential of leading to a, a period of astounding progress. Uh, it won't last forever, but for quite a while, I think the rate of progress will be unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, we, we really can't know what new things it will allow us to do, which is 
to me, thrilling as someone in the field, but I think to a lot of people also pretty scary. Well, let's talk about that promise. I mean, do you see us being able to use AI to make financial investments, to write my columns, to elect James's candidates? All of the above. Uh, so it's been used to make financial investments for a long time. Uh, if, if you look at the performance of hedge funds, uh, the best hedge funds performance over really the last 10 years almost has been those hedge funds that are using quantitative methods and a lot of AI. Mm -hmm. So already there with financial decisions. Um, as far as helping James uh, elect uh, more Democratic candidates, uh, clearly AI is going to change opposition research, if nothing else, pretty dramatically. You know, it, it gives us the ability to uh, look at vast amounts of data and uh, pull out things we, we'd like to trumpet about the opposition. And of course, them things about James's side. Uh, it's, it'll make a big difference that way. And of course, part of the issue there is also fakes, right? That uh, it will be really hard to disentangle uh, truth from, from things we find. And, and there are a lot of technical reasons why that's going to be a problem. Well, I was going to say, in the hands of evil people, Putin, for instance, isn't there a danger of great harm, manipulation, uh, oh, dishonesty? A, enormous harm. Absolutely enormous harm. Um, you know, the, the, the bots will generate things. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be very scary. And it's right now, you know, it reminds me of the old spy versus spy from, from Mad Magazine, right? That, that <laughs> each side is trying to compete with a other. And right now, it's a lot easier to do harm than to detect harm. Uh, and, and that's a big problem. You know, it's always been an issue with any kind of security-related thing, right? That, that the defenders have to defend against every attack, and the attackers only have to find one that works, and, and so I, I think it's definitely a, a big issue. And part of it is also not only bad guys, but good people are going to do harm by accident because they're going to believe what the AI tells them and, and, and maybe act upon it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Have, have you guys, either of you or both of you used chat GPT yet? I, I've done just a little bit. I'm going to, you know, I actually used it. We'll get to it later. I used it to uh, find out what questions I was supposed to ask you. Uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll run through some and then I'll give you what their answers are, which probably were totally off base. But tell, tell me this before we, before we move to James, is, is it feasible for self-regulation to detect bad stuff or, or, or government regulation to establish realistic guidelines? So those are two separate questions. I think right. the government question is a little bit easier. Uh, I'm very concerned about the current fear-mongering and the, the rush to legislation. Uh, you know, we have a, a government that does not know how to regulate things that where the harm is very clear, right? It can't regulate guns, even though we all know what guns do. Uh, how can we expect the same folks to figure out how to regulate AI when we don't really know what the AI is going to do? So I, I think it's it's a big issue. 
Uh, there's some things that are simple, but the idea that they can just turn it off is, is not possible, right? That no one is going to say the U.S. should stop making progress in AI because it's too risky. Let's hand it over to the Chinese or the Russians. Right. So we can't do that. We can't stop the train. It's hard to know how to regulate it, and we don't know where it's where it's where it's heading. James, so uh, we'll do a little name dropping here. Saturday, I went to Moscow's in Yarns. I ran into Walter Isaacson, and I, I told him that I was interviewing you, and he got got very excited. And but he said that I was about Chat GDP, and he said that's kind of yesterday's news. This thing has moved way beyond Chat GDP. So even worse, kind of got one stock put in the past. Uh, which I thought was interesting. And Al touched on something that, that everybody brings up, and that's the idea of regulation. And I, I, I texted a, a friend of mine who's very involved in this, and I said, is it possible to effectively regulate? Now, I'll give you his answer and, and see what you say. I think it is, but the focus on regulating tech itself is foolhardy. The effort should be more on precision regulation of uses of cases in of the of the tech. It's like regulating the hammer. It makes no sense, but you can create trade rules and regulations for carpentry. AI as a tool, even those foundation generative AI models, AI models will be used as tools, and that's where context matters. So regulating sectoral use cases, I will think, be most effective and necessary place to control their use. I, I'm not exactly sure what he's saying, but he he is a pretty smart guy. And does that make any sense to you? Uh, in some contexts, right? So certainly right. we could control the use, say, in med medicine and healthcare, mm -hmm. right? We 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 could could say that it's not permissible for AI to read. Uh, MRIs without a person overreading it and checking what, what the AI has said is in there. Uh, whether we can enforce such a regulation is a different question, but we can certainly make such regulations. Uh, and I think that would be very useful. Uh, to get back to what Al was saying, we're not going to be able to regulate uh, Putin's use of AI, no matter what we do in the legislation. Uh, and uh, you know, we can look at regulation in the financial services industry. There have been attempts to, re you know, regulate things like program trading uh, with mixed success. So there are certainly places where we can look to regulate it. Um, but it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, I think one of the different things that would be to look at that worries me a little bit is there are going to be a small number of companies with uh, oligopoly power. These foundational models can cost a billion dollars to build. And so once upon a time, we were in the world where innovate, and this is something Isaacson, who you mentioned, certainly talked about in some of his books, is the question of who, who is able to innovate and, and how does putting things in the public domain help with innovation. Uh, so that's at least something that one could imagine legislation doing, uh, making sure that these models are not owned by a small number of companies uh, and no one else gets to use them. Um, that would A, limit innovation, and B, limit our ability to understand what the models are really capable of and not capable of. 
So there are definitely places for legislation. The question is, do we have people in Washington who are knowledgeable enough to do it in a sensible way rather than to use your analogy of carpentry, just take a hammer and start smashing things? Great, Albert. The answer is we do not, but go ahead, Albert. (laughs) Well, I'm going to, you know, as you have noted, uh, uh, chat GPT is yesterday, but of course, James and I are last century. So I did ask them for some questions uh, to ask you. So let me just go through them and then, then you give me the answer and I'll tell you what they said. Uh, the first was what industries uh, and sectors uh, are there where AI can bring significant advancements? Um, I think pretty much any sector which we think of as having uh, intellectual content. Mm -hmm. uh, AI is very good at things like that. It's much less good at things that, you know, the last part of medicine that AI will affect will be surgery, right? It's just not going to be very good at cutting people open for a while. But anything that we think of as a cognitive task, uh, AI is going to play an important role. I already mentioned it's totally changing financial services already. Uh, it's starting to change healthcare, uh, and I think will accelerate its, its changes in healthcare. Um, certainly anything that involves writing, uh, as you've probably noticed, ChatGPT writes pretty well. Sometimes it writes complete nonsense, but it's well-written nonsense. It is, right. <laughs> right. Um, and so Although, any... Although I will say I asked them to do my bio and uh, and, and they got about 40 percent wrong. But anyway, go ahead. I, I went through the same exercise and, and, and it got a lot wrong. And the thing that disturbed me was not that it got it wrong, but I couldn't even imagine how it ima- how it hallucinated some of the things it hallucinated. Yeah. Yeah. It, it used to be when computers got things wrong, I could at least form a theory of why they got them wrong and where they pulled the information from. Here, it's such a black box that it was a total mystery to me that how it could have ever imagined what it said. Well, although they did have me winning some awards that I didn't win, I kind of wanted to accept that. But uh, in any event, uh, you know, you mentioned the last the last area will be surgery. But, you know, uh, you know, doctors operate uh, with computers now. Oh, they, well, there are two. There are things that robots are very good at. So they can do, say, laser eyes or eye surgery super right. well, better than people. Um, and they provide good assistance for other things, a sort of, sort of image-guided surgery. Um, I think in general, as we think about the impact of AI on industry, we should think about AI and humans doing things together, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than AI totally replacing humans. Um, and I, I think that's really going to be the model. So you might ask ChatGPT or some other AI to, to write a column for you, but before you sent it off, you would read it and edit it. Uh, well, and, I did ask them, which is sort of uh, I, like, 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 like you just suggested, uh, what exciting developments or advances in AI do you anticipate in the next decade? Oh, 
And did it give you a good answer? Well, it's, uh, here's what it said. It said breakthroughs in natural language processing, text understanding, medical diagnostic, drug discovery, and transparency. So that's kind of a non-answer, right? It is, right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's been interesting in that certainly there appear to be breakthroughs in, in, in natural language. And it's very interesting. It's that... None of it is based upon what we as humans think of as understanding natural language, right? So there's no underlying semantic model or syntactic model or anything that a linguist would be interested in, in, in these, quote, quote, large language models. Mm-hmm. All they're doing is having absorbing a lot of data, and then these generative models are just predicting the next word. And that's kind of the shocking thing, how good the output is when they're only predicting one word at a time uh, based upon data they previously looked at. So certainly they generate lovely natural language. They do a good job at translation. And none of it involves any of the natural language theory that humans have spent all these uh, decades developing. Uh, And I think that's kind of amazing thing about modern AI. When I started in AI, people were thinking they had to figure out the way humans solve problems and then get the computer to mimic humans. The current trend is totally ignore the way humans would do something and just get the computer to do it by more or less brute force. And uh, it's, it's worked. I mean, all the people who for years said we have to understand the brain to do AI were clearly just wrong. Wow. James? So uh, something I really don't know something, anything about medicine is something I really don't know anything about AI, but, but I read this and it made sense to me. There's a certain number of people that have cancer that go into spontaneous remission. They just, and it's not, you know, it's not common, but it, it, it's not unheard of. Could AI take all of these medical records you know, not just in the United States, but but all around, and and give an answer. Is there something that they have in common? Is there a genetic marker? Is there some kind of a, a I don't know, uh, DNA or something that 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 people that get this have? It, it, is that a possible use for AI? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's there's a field of of artificial intelligence called subgroup discovery where you take a large population and you find subgroups that have something in common. Right. So something simpler than your cancer example is people have started looking at using that for clinical trials, that they have a clinical trial and some number of people respond to say the drug positively, some people respond negatively, some people don't respond at all. Right. And now the question is, you take all the data you have about those people and see, can you identify what, say, the positive responders have in common and then say, let's approve it for them and not for these other people. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, right. That'd be great comfort because when you read the potential side effects, you go, oh, shit, you know, and it's like, you know, they got to put it on there. It might be half a percent, but it's Well, out. and the other thing we see in a lot of these trials, it's, it's something I've looked at from my own, own research, is that the trials fail because 
it helps some of the people and it hurts other people and on average, therefore it's doing nothing. But if you could just give it to the people it would help, it would be a really good thing. Well, Doug, so I, I would give you advanced invitations. So I ran into Walt. He pointed out that he has a book coming out on Elon Musk. And at the same time, his classmate and fellow New Orleanian, Michael Lewis, has a book coming out on Sam Bankman Fried. And oh. they're doing a book party at Moscow. So you, you're invited as my personal guest to come to the walk to Michael Lewis, Elon Musk, and Franklin Freed book party. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, count me in. Okay. Well, yeah. I just really uh, turn it back to Al, but personally, just I somewhat enjoyed meeting you and. You know, I, I, you you definitely think this is a good thing. I mean, this is something that could be misused, but on the whole, you think this is human progress in a good way. If I, oh, I do. I think correct. on the whole, I, I, I agree with you. I think on the whole, we're going to look back and say, yeah, it did some bad things, but net, net, the human race is better because we have it. And this has been true. You know, the Internet does some good things. It does some bad things. On the whole, I think we're all glad we have an internet. Yeah, that's, right. a, that's, a, that's a good analogy. Uh, I, I admit the bar was low, but 99% of Carville and Hunt's knowledge of AI has been acquired <laughs> in the last uh, 20 minutes, Dr. Gutag. But let me, let me just ask you this, which is if AI does not replace us on this podcast, and as it advances, we really hope we can get you back on uh, sometime from now uh, to see where it's where it's gone and where it's going. Uh, I would be delighted. I've really enjoyed this, and uh, I think it's very important that the public not be exposed to what's going on with AI because it's going to be very important, and uh, there's so much garbage that gets promulgated out there that it's important that people like you try and inform the public about what's going on. And not to mention inform right. ourselves. And so, you have done that today. No, I want to tell you, I got to tell you one story, Al, our listeners. When I was at LSU, I got an F in books and libraries. And my dad looked at me, he said, son, this ain't exactly goddamn quantum physics at MIT. <laughs> in the 90s, there was an economist there, Larry Katz, who's a labor economist, and he asked me if I would come talk to his class at MIT. And I said, only under the condition that I can stick my head in the quantum physics classroom. <laughs> so I actually listened to 30 seconds of MIT quantum physics. Have you ever met up there uh, our dear friend Roger Altman, who's in the board at MIT? I have not. Well, I'm going to tell him next time he goes up there to, to, to stop by and see you because he's a wonderful man and he's really got – I mean, he's a financial guy from Wall Street but has really, really, you know, got invested in MIT. And tell all my friends on the quantum physics faculty yeah. hello for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think it was uh, – maybe it was Niels Bohr who said, if you think you understand quantum physics, then you surely don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm safe. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much. This has really been this has been a, a pleasure and we have learned a lot and we really do hope we get you back. All right. Thanks a lot. I've enjoyed myself as well. You know, when you're trying to look and feel on top of your game, you need the best razor. Meet. Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the International Space Station and Mars Rover 
and now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. How great a shave does Henson give you, James? Well, it'll give you a great shave. And, and when you think of the technology and, and everything behind this and you think of the cost, it's it's just an awesome product. I, I don't know if anybody's look when you go to drugstore and get these razor blades. I mean, these things have gotten expensive now. I mean, it, it's just staggeringly high. And this is well-priced, and this is, you know, bringing space-age technology right to, to your bathroom. I, I don't, it can't be any better than that. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, you have to think of razor blades like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble. The more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem, and you need ultimate precision. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. We've been around a long time and never had it better. And that's not all. Henson Shaving's razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream to make clogs impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no plan obsolescence. Plus, they're affordable. The Henson Razor works with standard dual-edge blades to give you that old-school shave with the benefits of new-school tech. And it's only about 3 to 5 bucks per year to replace the blades. Henson handles it all. My first shave, you feel 20 years younger, and the design and durability is unmatched. So it's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com slash War Room to pick the razor for you and use code War Room, and you'll get two years' worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades. When you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash war room and use code war room. You also can find the link in our show notes. All right, James, now for our segment on Screw the Voters. Uh, you know, I've lost count of all the studies, reviews, analyses, recounts of American elections all concluding they are remarkably fraudulent free. Uh, Trump even named a stack commission which had to disband when they really couldn't find anything. But a combination of Trump's lies about the last election and Republican fears that if enough people vote, they could change elections, not in the way they want, so they're moving to suppress that possibility. Florida and Texas are leading the way, naming election police whose real intent is to intimidate. With the invaluable assistance of the nonpartisan Brennan Center, we looked into this. Now, Florida, whose governor, Ron DeSantis, recently bragged the state's elections were the gold standard as he prepares to run for president, set up an election police corps to root out election fraud if they can find any. The main targets are former felons. Now, in 2018, Floridians, by an overwhelming 63 percent, voted to allow nonviolent released felons to vote. Republicans immediately set up roadblocks to stop this. The public be damned. Now having created chaos, they're going after honestly confused voters. 
Similar picture in Texas, where the Republican Party is dispatching marshals to try to fund fraud, if they can find it. The, they, they, they point to Crystal Mason, who was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison for voting while on probation, even though she didn't know she was ineligible, as a court has ruled. This is the same state where Governor Greg Abbott wants to pardon a man just convicted of murdering a Black Lives Matter protester. But we're going to take, you know, a poor woman who didn't know she was ineligible and send her to the slammer for five years. James, in this screw the voter contest, any idea which is who's worse, Texas or Florida? It, it, you should not like bother yourself. I mean, who was worse, Stalin or Hitler? All right, you could, you know, that that's for college kids who are drunk and high to discuss. It's 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 disgusting that we're having this conversation with two significant states in the United States, and that now Texas is taking over the voting in Harris County, which is Houston, by the way, because they don't like the results. And we got this Moore versus Harp at the Supreme Court, which is likely to give the legislature anything. I, America that's that's, that's going to be dropped, but but you're right about they'll, that. that, that, that but they'll come back. They're coming back. This democracy is in so much trouble on so many fronts that it's unbelievable. And the only hope we have is we have to have a really good year in 2024. I mean, a really good year. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be not just a presidential good year, but it's got to be a congressional good year. It's got to be a good year down to the state and the county level. It, it, they, they know that they're losing and they're doing everything they can from the Supreme Court on down to, to, to screw the electorate. This is an important part that, that you do. And we got to continue doing this. We'll continue to screw the voter because, unfortunately, there are enough examples. And you're so right about 2024. And it's also secretaries of state and no. uh, state Supreme Court races. Uh, you know, you know, yeah, it's all keep a focus on them. Okay. Thank you for the information you sent us, the Brennan Center, which is nonpartisan. All right, James, now for the outrage. The Russians have banned 500 Americans from that country. There goes the Siberian summer vacation. The list includes late-night comedian Stephen Colbert, Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and Michael Boyd, the Capitol Hill police officer who shot and killed one of the mob violently trying to break into the House Speaker's lobby on January 6th. None of these men have any involvement in American foreign policy. They do have one thing in common. They have incurred the wrath of Donald J. Trump, as have most of the others of 497 on that list. Putin is sticking with his old pal Trump. For the revisionist efforts, which we've seen now, particularly after the Durham report, the reality of the Mueller report, the American Intelligence Agency, the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee, and others all concluded Moscow tried to help Trump win the 2016 election and his campaign welcomed it. They fed inside information and met with Russian agents, and they were aware of some of the Russian leaks that were coming out about Democrats. Now, you recall, James, you cited the Senate Intelligence Committee report. After a three-year investigation, they laid out an extensive pattern of Kremlin-Trump contacts in 2016 while saying, well, there was no evidence of collusion. Well, replied Maine Senator and committee member Angus King, an independent, the Russians provided all kinds of help and the Trump team used it and welcomed it. 
you can d- decide whether that's collusion, whether in the legal sense or not. Trump and Putin, soulless brothers. I've been a lot of lists in my life. And, you know, I, I didn't get the MacArthur Genius Prize, damn it. But the list I most regret not being on is that list. Yeah, I, I would have loved to have been named on that list. We can campaign for it, James, and see if they'll update it. Well, well <laughs> please, man. People would pay to get on that thing. You kidding me? Russia could raise some money. Yeah, absolutely. So Mount Rages is a town in the Hudson Valley between New York and Albany. And... Then Washington Post, I mean, the New York Post, <coughs> excuse me, apologize, Washington Post, ran a story and interviewed people that said they were veterans and they were kicked out of a hotel to make room for illegal migrants. So it goes in Washington Post, 15 different stories on Fox. Do I have to tell you what the real story is? No, I don't. It's so depressing. It was all made up. And somebody promised to pay these people who are anything but veterans, $200. Of course, they screwed them, didn't even get their $200. And they barely, barely ran a retraction. It's like it never happened. There's a movie, a documentary on HBO Max called How to Create a Sex Scandal. You got to watch this. And it's stunning how they can, in some place in East Texas, it was Tyler, right, right around that area, where they falsely convicted four people uh, for, for having the child sex ring. And these people want to believe all of this. They want to believe that they're, that they're democratic pedophiles or whatever they're out there. They want to believe that we're kicking veterans out to make room for illegal migrants. And, you, you know, they don't care if they find out it's not true because it originally fit their worldview. And this is a very, very unfortunate turn that we've taken in American politics. Really unfortunate. Yeah, and it's a point you've made before. If someone on the left did that and got caught, there would A, be some recriminations from their colleagues, there would be apologies, et cetera, as there should be, as there should be. But on that side, almost nothing. 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 Yeah. No... They have suffered no reputational harm whatsoever. And there was a group, if you can look it up, that was behind, of course, some woman had started it and thought it would be a nifty idea to, you know, put people in touch and make up these stories. And and the reason they do it, because, well, who gives a shit if it doesn't work? You're just telling people what they wanted to hear anyway. And I guarantee you that you go all anywhere in the country and they're still talking about how they were kicking veterans out of illegal immigrants in New York. Yeah, I agree. We're living in an era of tyranny, and the Internet is at the frontier of control. So when powerful interests want to push their agenda, who's to say big government and big tech won't silence any voice that doesn't fit their narrative? After all, we never know who's going to be in power. And right now, Americans are being forced to give up the very thing that makes America great, our freedom of speech and even our identities. But we're not going to let our voice be censored or data be harvested. That's why we use ExpressVPN, and you should too. You see, the problem with big tech is not only do they attempt to censor you, but they also track what you do online. And that means what you're searching for, the videos you watch, and everything you click. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. 
How important is it to protect your thoughts, information you look at, and identity, James? Well, it, it, it not only is it important, it, it gets exponentially important, not by the day, but by the hour. And, you know, you do these things and accept all cookies, you know, shit, I just want to read the story, you know, and you just click it and you just don't even yeah. think about it. And, and they're getting more and more and more sophisticated and they all want everything. If, if you go and buy a bag of M&Ms, they, they want your phone number, they want your email, they, they you know, it's want amazing. your number. Everything is about accumulating information on you and people know more about you today than they've ever known about anybody else in in history and any protection that a human being can get it it's just common sense tells you ought to make use of it totally. yeah and when we use expressvpn nobody can see your ip address because they uh, anonymize our identities with a secure vpn server Plus, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of our network traffic for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. ExpressVPN is so easy to use also. We love that no matter what device we're on, the app literally has one button. You tap it and you're protected. It's so simple. Even James and I can do it. ExpressVPN is not only the number one rated VPN by CNET and TechRadar, it's also the best VPN we've ever tried, and we never go online without it. So don't give big tech and big government the power to control your information. Defend your rights and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash warroom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash warroom to get three months free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash warroom. You also can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, you're right. It reminds me of, you know, the commander of the referee right before the, the bell rings, protect yourself at all times and come out fighting. Protect Absolutely. yourself. You need protection in this world, brother. Excellent you know. point. Okay, James, our listener questions coming in. Again, they're so good. Michelle in Florence, Massachusetts. Michelle's a Democrat. She wishes Biden was younger. But for God's sakes, who cares when people, especially women, know they have to vote for someone who will defend and protect women's rights, plus push for major gun reform? That's what's going to bring people out to vote. Any thoughts on that? Well, I I mean, first of all, she's absolutely correct. Um, and you, you know, they're bringing people out there voting democratic. Now there are two things that really worry me about the president's stand. I mean, of course, about you, you point out his age, which is a very legitimate observation to make beyond that. What really troubles me is he has very undistinguished numbers among blacks and young people. And in no way we can win an election without having a robust black turnout in a robust under 30. Right. Uh, turnout. His, his black approval is like 59%, which is awful for, for a Democrat. And I'm not sure why. It was a good Paul Krugman piece about how black unemployment by wages are, they're really caught up uh, with white wages here. To, you know, I was, I was kind of surprised myself in a, in a very pleasant upside, but for whatever reason, and you know, when, the, and when this so-called deal comes through, People are going to be saying this just really hurts the traditional Democrats. And, you know, Biden, you know, of course, he had to do it to keep them wrecking the economy, turned his back on Democratic constituencies. And I expect these numbers, if anything, are only going to get worse. I keep getting these bad polls. And my point is, there's no such thing. They're going to continue to be bad. 
and they're going to get worse. And that's a fact. And, uh, you know, my, my heart's out to you and up in Massachusetts, but you make a good point. But we got to have an energetic Democratic Party going into 2024, I promise you. Yeah. And it's it's hard to envision that right now. Mm-hmm. The only thing that mm-hmm. may energize would be the opposition. I hope that's sufficient. Crystal and Eugene Oregon says if the Trump base, this is a funny question, truly believes Trump won in 2020, then doesn't that preclude him from running again? Or maybe they believe that since it was stolen, he gets another chance. Crystal, you're making one mistake. You are assuming that they think it's all on the level. That Trump doesn't care if it's on the level or not. He wouldn't care about anything. And his base, whatever he says, they're going to be for. Uh, I think most of them realize deep down in he lost that election. Uh, but they say he's lying about it. That's okay. He's our guy. You know, it's our lie, if you will. And um, so I, I, I am, I admit, a bit taken back that uh, that his his repetition of that lie appears not to have hurt him one iota among that base. It's worse than that. Not only does it not, they want to be lied to. Yeah. Okay, you got to understand that. They'll pay to be lied to. If if you look at all of these texts and emails we got from Fox, they, they don't care. They, it's not, no, that's, that's wrong to say they don't care. They're not neutral. They're affirmative on being lied to. And boy, when you have people in this country that are willing to pay to be lied to, guess what? You got a lot of people going to lie to them. And, and by the way, uh, you, I'm a big track and field fan. I don't know why I ran track. I'm the only guy that watches the track meets on TV, <laughs> but, uh, and Eugene is the, you know, world capital of track and field. So it's Nike. a great place. Phil Go Knight, Ducks. sure is. Yeah. Man, it's something. Uh, it's also the home of what it's, is the university of Oregon, Eugene? I it, believe it no, is. Yeah, it is. The Ducks. Yeah. yeah. The Ducks. Good school. Great state. Right. Greg in DeKalb County, Georgia, recognizing Ooh, huh. that 2024 is a very unfavorable Senate map for Democrats, except maybe Colin Alrad against Ted Cruz. Do you see anyone mounting a strong campaign against Rick Scott? Is Val Demings the uh, the Democrats' best chance, or who else? I'm told that there's a school board member in Broward named Jennifer Jenkins, who's a really tough hombre. And I, I, I think that this just writing off Florida uh, is not, I think uh, Nikki Freed has shown that she can do the job. I think this Jacksonville thing was a, a very, very encouraging sign. You know, Rick Scott is the architect of the cut social security and Medicare and forced people probably increased taxes on 35, 40% of, of the people in Florida. I mean, Don't he is a total servant, total servant of, of, of the uber wealthy. Of course, he got rich by, according to multiple sources, from Medicare misdeeds. So I, I, I let's watch what goes on down there. But uh, I guarantee you they're looking and we might have a, a, a potentially really, really interesting candidate. I'm also told that the leader of the Florida House, uh, Pinchel's got a, a little bit of a different name, is really, really, really talented. So th- there's some talented Democrats down there in Florida, and we got to figure a way to get them front and center and out there. But I, I, I'm not ready, not near ready to give up on Florida. And okay. I think the Jacksonville race proved that we got, we got a pulse at least. All right, Sunshine State voters, you heard it here. Mike in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, Ooh, says, nice. on the trail and on the debate stage, boy, I tell you, Mike is 
ask a good question. The Democrats want to use statistical information and numbers to prove their accomplishments. The Republicans use big, although usually insane and wrong, ideas. Can Democrats learn a lesson? I, I think you're right, Mike. I think, you know, you see it in this debt ceiling fight uh, they're having right now, the default fight they're having right now. Uh, the Democrats will use all kinds of data. Their data is right, usually. And the Republicans just have their big lie and they stick with it and it's and it's persuasive. Uh, I, I think the Democrats have got to figure out a way to tell, to craft a better narrative. Well, th- there is no doubt. And what, what d- Democrats don't do is use emotion. We, we, we always love reason and reason will only take you so far. And we don't believe in repetition. Why are we behind the eight ball on this default fight? Well, we, we, we didn't prepare for it. We didn't have, you know, real message discipline. They didn't have talking points. I, 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 Democrats, and in, in all they do is they get the White House press person in, in is how good they answer Peter Ducey's question. That's not communications. Communications is having a strategy, having an implementation, having execution, and having enforcement. You got to tell people, don't say debt limit, say default. And once you, you tell five people that, the word gets out. And, and, and you they repeat don't do it that. and repeat it. You repeat it and repeat it. And if someone, somebody uses the wrong word, and, and you know, boy, if, I, if there's a Democratic president, in, in my advice, what do you think? Get a, a communications person and have that person be really disciplined and really enforced, really call people and say, look, ma'am, uh, uh, don't ma'am, man, whatever it is, don't say it like that. Say it like this. And it make all the difference in the world and say it over and over. But we just don't value that. And shit, they're telling them, talk about the Hudson Valley and the veterans getting kicked out. Once they put it out there, they already won. Yeah. They, don't, they don't look at the retraction or care. It, it, our message discipline is, 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 is message enforcement is literally non-existent. It's frustrating. You're right. James, are you ready for a really tough one? I mean, seriously. Right. I mean, I, I want Back you to brace in. yourself. This may really throw you for a loop, okay? Right. It comes from Steve in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania. Now, get ready. This is going to be really tough. A few years back, former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu gave a powerful and compelling speech concerning Confederate monuments. It was, in my view, political rhetoric raised to an almost spiritual level. In the event the president should reconsider and not run, do you think Mayor Landrieu would run? And also, (laughs) could he defeat Trump in a head-to-head matchup? Thank you for the question. I, I particularly pride my family as my daughter wrote the first draft of that speech as part of our application. And her now husband was Mayor Landry's speechwriter who put the, wrote the final draft. I mean, it got submitted to the mayor. He obviously made changes himself. If, if he would have run against Donald Trump or, or, or uh, Ron DeSantis, he'd get 54, 55%. Yep. yep. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I wouldn't have any doubt in, in, in the world because he's a world class communicator, he's stunningly good on his feet. And, and, and there, are other, there are other people in the Democratic Party. You and I have talked about this. I, I recommend Jackie Combs' column, and I think it's in the Los Angeles Times. The greatest, most destructive myth in American politics is the Democrats don't have anybody that could run other than Biden. That's just not demonstrably not true. And 
and there are many, many, I'm not going to go through a litany because I always forget someone because there's so goddamn many that are so talented out there. But, you know, every horse that's in the barn looks like Secretariat. Only when you get on the track, you know how good they are. Yeah, and, and I, you know, you're right about the list, but I'll give you a top three who I agree if you would win 54, 55% against Trump or DeSantis, and that would be Mitch Landrieu, Gretchen Whitmer, and Roy Cooper. All of them. All of them are tried. All of them are true. All of them would be persuasive, but, you know, doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, Our next question is from James, a different James in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He said, uh, this is following up on that. Perhaps it's naive to hope for, but what is the latest time frame that a change in mind by the president would still enable enough time for an effective race for the nomination by other credible, qualified and interested Democratic candidates? He mentions uh, a few that we just uh, went over. James, um, I, I would say realistically, we're talking, you know, no later than Labor Day. You have to have a little bit of time. You have to have filing deadlines. Uh, I think that's achievable if you do that. And frankly, if Biden gets out, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the Democratic calendar. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of pressure to move New Hampshire back to its you know, original first status. They're going to have a first primary no matter what. And uh, so I, I, I think if you go much beyond Labor Day, you're running the filing deadline problems. And uh, But, you know, that's still the party, what, James? The party decides. I look. I mean, suppose we had a presidential candidate and he was incapacitated in April, uh, March of election year. Well, it would be it'd be a process. You'd, you'd backload yeah. stuff. You'd figure something out. Yeah, but I he's mean, talking it, about when Biden could I, shoot, could would again, get out. I, I, again, again, I know Lyndon Johnson was running in March of 1968 until a New Hampshire primary. Well, they had a vigorous nominating thing between Humphrey and, 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 and Bobby Kennedy in 1968. I was get, getting out of them when Bobby Kennedy was killed, assassinated the night of the California primary. Uh, you know, there's deadlines, and but you can, the, the party makes the rules. They can figure anything out. Uh, you know, God forbid that we should have, you know, people just send delegates out and get somebody, but anything can happen. You know, the country's going to go on, the party's going to go on. You know, ideally, yeah, you would have a start at Labor Day and everybody would be out and running all the primaries, but you may not have that. Our final question is from Michael. I love this town. Springboro, Ohio. No, I don't know where that is. Let's let's look that up later where Springboro, Ohio is. Yes, good question. What do Democrats need to do to win Texas in the next presidential election? Uh, Michael lives in Ohio, a once purple state which went for Trump by a wider margin than Texas in 2020. Any hope for the Democrats in the Lone Star State, James? Well, yes. I, I mean, first of all, I think we have a stunningly good Senate candidate there. And, you know, I'm talking about the Senate, not presidential. But and by the way, the, the margin in the presidential race, I think, was considerably cut between 2016 and, and, and 2020. I, I, I got to look it up and, and double check, yeah. but I, I think I'm on pretty safe ground there. And, you know, it's evidence by the Republicans doing everything they can to try to keep Democrats from voting because they know what's coming. I, I it, look, we got to we got to compete in the Senate in Texas for sure. We got to pe- compete in the Senate in Florida for sure. We don't have another choice. And the only other choice we got is Indiana, which is really hard. But uh, the guy, the Republicans, actually a little more sane than most of them is, is retiring. And, and but that that's the, that's what we down to. 
and, and we're down to trying to save West Virginia for, for Senator Manchin. I mean, now, you know, Jim Justice, who fired Joe Manchin's wife, and that doesn't go over big in a place like West Virginia, I promise you. But they got a real, real right winger. Run Justice used to be a Democrat. He's kind of a, a Republican of convenience. And that, that uh, guy's name escapes me right now. But, but if, if we can if, if shut up about Manchin and the Democratic Party, because he's the only Democrat that would have any kind of chance in West Virginia. And if he got that really loopy right winger, you know, that, that's what you're down to hoping for. All right. And I don't know how, how good of a hope it is, but when, when you're fourth and 72 on your own, too, you got to you got to chunk it, dude. <laughs> yeah, anybody who doesn't give Joe Manchin a pass this year on anything no, is out of their mind. Out of their uh, mind. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't like some of the things he says or does, but he deserves a pass. He's going to have a tough race. And uh, yeah, I, I really I mean, a heck of a lot better than any Republican. Man, we need James, I'm going to go back to Texas. Uh, I think you're right. But that Texas Republican Party is a disgrace. I don't Ooh. mean that. Uh, and that that's not just hyperbole. The governor uh, is a guy, as I mentioned earlier, who wants to the jury convict someone of murder. And the governor says, well, you know, he's a white guy who killed people in Black Lives Matter. So I'm going to pardon him. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, the jury came in one day and within a matter of just a short time, uh, Abbott says he's going to pardon him. The lieutenant governor is supposed to be the craziest of them all, uh, a real right winger. But my favorite, my favorite is the attorney general. The attorney general who has been indicted on the state charge and the feds are investigating because his own aides went to the feds and said he and, and accused him of committing a crime while attorney general. The state, he now wants the state taxpayers to pay for it. The legislature is resisting. So what does he do the other day? He says the speaker, the Republican speaker of the House is a drunk. And he ought to be thrown out of office. What did you see today? Yeah, exactly. He is a drunk. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I want them, I, you know, they're all, if they're not, if they're not drunks, I want to give them something to drink. They're so goddamn right. crazy. But that's the Texas Republican Party. <laughs> that's what they are. And I'll tell you this much. I'll take a drunk uh, right. uh, over, over that, over, over Paxton. <laughs> I would take a drug easy, but I got to tell you, that guy was drunk. <laughs> the tape, the tape is fun to watch, no doubt. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's disqualifying, but that dude, and he was from both Golden Triangle, which is right. There's a lot of a, a lot of a lot of Louisiana Cajuns living in that part yeah. of Texas, uh, but 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 he he, he was drunk. <laughs> Well, no somebody, you Texans out there, would you please send the speaker some Z-biotics? Because I think he could really benefit <laughs> some, from Z-biotics. He, he needs some Z-biotics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep those keep those questions coming in. They are so great, and you are telling us where you're from, and uh, we really appreciate it. We had, you know, from Springboro, Ohio, to Tanzania. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Z-Biotics, Henson Shaving, and ExpressVPN in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them because when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. Now, to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. 
We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.